Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Goodness. We did it. <laughs> we did it again, guys. We made it live. How's everybody doing? We're doing. Yeah. I'm tired, okay. It's early on a Sunday. I know, it's not that early. Well, I don't have small kids waking me up hours ago, so I'm literally like four sips into my coffee. Okay. Well that's that that would that would make it feel early. Um <laughs> how are you doing, Brian? Brian, tell us tell us what you're up to. Speaking of early. Uh, I'm I'm uh, hanging out. I uh, have a solo night out at a hotel just down the road from my house because um, uh, life is a bit crazy right now, and so I'm I'm taking a night off. And I still woke up at five forty-five in the morning, but instead of being told to turn on uh, Minecraft videos on YouTube, pulled out my book. I opened the blinds. I watched the sunrise over the prairie. I listened to some of my favorite records of this year and uh, slowly came into the day. So I'm feeling really, really good right now. I went and saw Killers of the Flower Moon last night. Like things are just had a great chocolate milkshake, a lot of popcorn. Just feeling great right now. How was the movie? I loved it. Uh, it was a American epic. Very long, very slow, but very big hearted. Um, 
Yeah, amazing performances, amazing writing, really, really devastating and heavy story. I recommend everyone go out and see it. Looks really good, and I'm uh, excited to hear see the movie next week. I think. Yes, next. I think you'll dig it. Yeah, the soundtrack. How is the soundtrack too? Robbie Robertson. It's great. Robbie Robbie has done a few recent Marty movies. He he does the score for it, and um, it's really haunting. It's got a um, kind of reminds me in a sense of the soundtrack from uh, There Will Be Blood. Similar time frame Mm -hmm. in American history. Similar to like approach to just American anger and desire for power and um, elements of corruption and how that all was becoming centralized uh, in, in Washington and the impact that it was having. And you just like hear that and feel it in the movie. They're just these undertones of, um, you know, there's like heavy, heavy bass. Um, and then just like this beautiful guitar and pedal steel that like just kind of drifts to like the right side of the screen, it feels like. And it really works for these like big shots they have of the landscape, but then these closed room, really intense scenes. It it was, it was one of the more powerful aspects of the movie overall. How are you guys doing though? This has been I'm doing good. HF pod yeah. 40 for 40 is back. It's the best. I'm doing good. <laughs> I had a nice Saturday night too. I was reading some Vonnegut and listening to some 2012 albums. Doesn't get wow. much better than that, you know? Wow. It's nice. It sounds so relaxing. It was. It was great. And it's sunny today in New York. So we haven't had like a sunny weekend here. I think there's been one sunny weekend since Memorial Day in New York. So I'm wow. ready to have a nice Sunday. <laughs> it's been awful. Oh my goodness. I can't even yeah. imagine well, living out here where we get 350 days of sunshine a year. It's amazing. Yeah. Just rub it in. I know I've been telling everybody that I'm moving to Colorado. I'm like hardcore pressing my daughter to go look at UC Boulder. I'm like, you need to go and check out this college so I can move out there. I just, just remember you only That's get one fish run Arizona. a year, not like six different fish runs like you guys mm. get uh, in, in New York, true. Philly, Austin, Merriweather, but you know, Give and take. RJ, how are you feeling after uh, last night's six to one trouncing of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who you just learned were a professional baseball team? Yeah, I mean, I know because <laughs> I know because Brad lives there that you know they had a baseball team. Um, <laughs> Does Brad know that they have a baseball team? It was a great. I, it was a. <laughs> I gotta say, it was a great sports day. It was. Uh, it was great for my Ohio State Buckeyes, and I'm sorry because I live in Pennsylvania, so you know, like most people here. We're rooting for Penn State and, you know, just hmm. didn't didn't happen. And the Phillies won. So I got like the split, you know, the the win, the two wins that I was probably one of the rare people to be rooting for those two teams. So um, it's pretty great. Pretty great. Sounds like everyone's having a really good weekend. Um, yeah. I do. I do want to say quickly, just, um, <laughs> yeah, see, this is the this is like a very <laughs> that's a very Pennsylvania perspective. Um, I hope it's OK. guy. I didn't say I didn't tell. um Megan, Brian, or Jonathan, that I, I just want to say quickly that I know like the past few weeks have been really hard for a lot of people with everything going on out there. And I, I, we're, this is not a place to discuss things like that, but I think saying that we're, we're thinking of you all, um, everyone affected by all the madness. Um, we've talked about it a lot, like in our text chain and, and separately. So just want everyone to know that we are thinking about you people who are suffering. I guess that's kind of an evergreen comment, but but feels particularly relevant now. Um, so, yeah. Um, but in other news, we have a hotline. We, we have a hotline. This is 
so exciting. It's like all my 90s dreams come true. I mean, I wanted a hotline so bad when I was a teenager. I This is unbelievable. I can't believe it. Mike's voicemail has been updated 20 years into the future. <laughs> we took it. We've got it. Nick, who does our social media, was like, dude, the hotline is such a great idea. And I was like, yeah, it only took us 11 years. <laughs> you know, I had to marinate on it. From the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I thought we should start a 1-900 number back in 2014. You guys were like, ah, nobody, does. nobody uses phones anymore. Here we yep. are. It's we have exactly. that one item on every weekly meeting, how to engage more with listeners. And it, we always walk away just being like, I don't know. I don't know. And we finally <laughs> figured it out. The technology never existed until now. Apparently, we <laughs> exactly. also like to use phones. Waiting. It's weird. Um, we, we have some, we got a lot of voicemails already. Should, can I play a couple now? There, there's, yeah, let's play a few. There's actually none I mean, directed at Megan, but there's one directed at Brian. There's one for Jonathan. And then there's a couple for all of us. Now I feel left out. I knew I should have made a reel announcing this. Then maybe I would have got some. It's fine. Don't worry. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have to filter them out for you later. Be careful what I ask for, right? (laughs) I know. Exactly. exactly. There's no question. All right. It's 484. 484-416-0488. I'll put it in the show notes. That is our hotline. Um, okay, so we got a couple couple messages I'm going to share here. I guess the first one is here, which you guys have heard, but I thought this was this was part of a testing um, testing thing, but um, but it but it was it was great. Um, okay, here let's listen to this one. No, 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 no. That's not working. <laughs> yeah, way to go, drive. I know. Why? Just, why would uh, that happen now? Because it's mean. You just like reload your drive holder. And- all right, guys. This is this is bad. This is no, bad. Like refresh on that tab. There, go. there it goes. Okay, so that, that's voicemail one. Um, mm. That was from Maya. We didn't hear the audio though. Yeah, we didn't hear it though. Oh. Yeah. Can you yeah. hear this? No. Okay. All right, guys. Watching live. Hi, everybody. Um, this is going to work <laughs> really well right now. Share screen. Do that. Also, share tab audio. When you go. wonder why it took us 11 years to launch this, you are yeah. right now. <laughs> All right. So tell me if you can hear this. Hi. Uh, I have a complaint uh, that I'd like to submit to whatever committee is in charge of uh, performance enhancing drugs in the podcast industry. Um, I think there's no possible way that Brian Brinkman's voice can sound that soothing um, without some sort of PED. Uh, and so I'd like Cyrus uh, Media or the, the relevant parties, please look into that. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, very disgruntled fan uh, who, you know, listens to the podcast all the time and will stop doing so unless this is addressed. <laughs> no idea who that is. Never it's an that. advanced no, combination imagine. of EQs and compressors in a, in a properly arranged chain. That's what um, we call don't it. Don't give away our chain. secrets, Jonathan. Yeah. I feel as yeah. though I should comment on this really quickly. Yeah, um, please. If you heard me between the hours of 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. as I'm trying to wrangle up my children to eat the food that I cook for them so that they can be nourished and be healthy and happy and not be hungry, and as I try to uh, condition and comb my son's extremely curly, (laughs) tangly hair, and as I try to read my daughter to sleep when she is uh, uh, just wide awake suddenly at 7 o'clock at night, you would understand that my voice is not always soothing and not always uh, on these uh, performance-enhancing drugs. The performance-enhancing drug, though, is fish. I love talking about fish, and it puts me in a calm, peaceful state of mind, as do all of you. So uh, it it is just a byproduct of the setting. 
Thank you, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> Thank um, you, dear listener with the Canadian accent. Yeah. Who yeah, knows who that was? That is. So polite, though. Very polite. Quite polite. Very polite mm-hmm. person. Um, because I said I, I said this earlier. But... I love you, Dad. Okay. That was a test. That was a test from, my, from Maya. Uh, here we go. Hi there. Uh, I don't listen to podcasts, but I do like shit talking, which is, of course is why I'm on Twitter. These are my thoughts. I think that by saying that you like fish but hate fish, the fish crowd, I think that's the same thing as just saying you're a conservative. Um, I hate the Phillies. I can't say that they suck because they're not sucking right now. Um, but I just also wanted to add that I hate the Phillies. And it looks like you need a bigger room. That was the kind of a small room you're in. Looked like there was some neat stuff in there. But it looked like it was a little small. You, you might want a bigger room. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> Thank oh you. One, so, so do you think he's targeted. ever listened to our podcast? That's no. like amazing. I just I love know. that. I feel very, I feel very like happy that that happened. Here, let me see what this one is. Hey guys, uh, there were a lot of great jams played in the first weekend of Fishball Tour, um, but I specifically would like to hear Jonathan's opinion on one from October sixth. Uh, the song emerged as a jam vehicle throughout the summer and has been evolving a lot recently. Uh, so I'm really curious to hear specifically his thoughts uh, on the Everything Must Go uh, from October 6th. Uh, this is coming at you from uh, 902 Vickers. Uh, so thank you, guys. Love the show. I didn't even, I didn't even, when I read the transcript of that one, I didn't even realize because it didn't transcribe right. So that was a good troll. All right. So mostly, so far we haven't had any any serious voicemails it's definitely but, a, a jam no. worth hearing i would i would highly recommend it's a great everything yeah uh, uh, hold up now he wanted to hear my thoughts that's true um yeah. and i yeah, don't have any please. um right now because i don't know what the heck we're talking about so about that? <laughs> we'll send it to you <laughs> so um okay let me just see i'm gonna just once let me just see if this hello everybody I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. 
Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. It's an obscure band called Oos with a silent G. Uh, great song, <laughs> Everything Must Go. <laughs> I think that's it for this week. We're gonna we're gonna get more, but um, there's some nonsense in here. There's a lot of nonsense. So, I think the important thing is, up. please send in your questions, your comments, your thoughts, uh, trivia, whatever it may be. We will answer it. This uh, this could be a fun way for us to continue engaging with you, the listener, um, and I hopefully sh- we get a more diverse range of uh, opinions rather than just one centered around Hamilton, Ontario. Um, also, you know, we theoretically will tell you what our episodes are going to be about in advance, especially if you follow Instagram and watch, you know, Megan's reels and stuff. So you could, you know, preload a comment for the show that we're fixing to do, and then we could play that right here. And for example, we would know your thoughts on 1230-2012. Yeah. And a lot of people have been wanting to know how to get involved in these episodes. So this is it. This is the way. That's, that is a solid way to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. Are we on live television? Are we allowed to talk about the show, or do we have to do that thirty-minute intro part before we talk about the show? Do the thirty-minute oh, intro tiring part. tiring of the intro part. I, I think the intro part. You don't like corner part. anymore. I do. I do. I just I wasted a lot of time loading up these voicemails. So you know, I don't know how much time we have left. Although I think we don't. Time is a time is a social construct. I guess. Time Why don't we illusion. start by you telling us, RJ, where you were at in 2012 in life and what you're what you were thinking about the world, what you were thinking about fish, and then we can we can go from there. First, you have to unmute yourself. Jesus, I've never done this before. This is so complicated. <laughs> okay, 2012 was the was the last year that I had before children. So we were, uh, you know, it was it was preparing to get into. Um, getting into real, real serious responsibility. Um, I saw the three Baderfield shows and then I saw 1228 and 1230 2012, which I didn't even know until I looked this morning. Cause I just didn't remember <laughs> which of those new year's run shows, but I kind of remember this, this show that we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, I, it was, it was kind of right before I really dove back into, to fish, you know, but I think some of these 2012 shows were, were an inspiration for getting, back into it you know from Dix and and some of the others that that came earlier this year so i feel like this was like the year before i really like dove back in and then like took on a a, a big life responsibility so that's that's kind of that's kind of my summary um brian can you tell tell us like answer that same question and also why this show if, if it's if it's time to yeah talk about that yet yeah sure um I mean, I will just say from a personal standpoint, 2012, I started in Portland, Oregon. I was uh, cooking in a nice restaurant. And uh, when I started the year, I kind of thought that I was going to just live there for the next five to 10 years, try to put down some some roots there. And then um, my my wife and I were about to get married. And we kind of looked at 2012 as this like kind of last gasp of not being adults, like kind of like being fun adults. And so <clears throat> in July, we sold everything we owned. And went and got married in Montana and then spent the latter half of 2012 driving around America, um, working odd jobs on a pretty long road trip before we went back to South Korea to teach English. And so this was like a big breaking point year for me on a personal standpoint. From a fish standpoint, 
we talked about this in the last 40 for 40, about 8, 15, 2011, how 2011 had this tendency of kind of one step forward, two steps back. And there were these really, really high points and these great moments, but then there was a lot of, um, you know, the, the, the tendencies to slip back into kind of sameness and normalcy and, um, not taking a ton of risks were happening throughout 2011. And I, I think we ended that year kind of wondering, What's exactly going to happen with this Fish 3.0 experiment? Is it really going to continue? The New Year's run from that year wasn't uh, wasn't really highly regarded. It's not really fun to go back and listen to. Um, for me, 2012 is the shift. Um, immediately, they play this great show in Worcester to open up the tour. Uh, the summer tour is filled with a ton of rarities. Trey said before the tour that um, they wanted to break the annual song uh, total, uh, Mark, which I think was like 235 at that point. They've since broken it like four or five times since then in one year playing uh, however many different songs. So a lot of rarities came back. A lot of shows, uh, had just excitement around the set list in a way that they hadn't for about a year and a half. Um, there were some jams that started to emerge, especially in the August run. Uh, the Dicks run was a monumental change in the band's approach to uh, constructing a single show and constructing a run. Um, I was at that, and then I came to this run, and kind of centering around your your question, why this show? I would say a couple of reasons. First, we we did a big ten year look back at 2012 last year, and we never actually did the new year's run so i wanted to represent that just from a structural standpoint but from a show standpoint this really interests me because you have the dicks run that is um the, the 831 show is still the best fish show i've ever seen i think it's it's in a lot of cases the most important show they played since they came back it kind of changed the dynamics of what the band could do but you wouldn't actually hear fish on a full tour for 10 months they wouldn't go back on the road until july they did july early august dicks and october um 2013 and so you have this kind of island of shows in um uh late late december and of those there are some moments that showcase uh what the band did really strongly in uh uh in colorado in, in over labor day but you also have a lot of the tendencies that they were slipping back that, that, that happened throughout 2011 where shows kind of just felt like recitals at times. And it just felt like we're just still kind of going through the motions of performing, but this show has a clear break from an improvisational standpoint. And so this show kind of shows the two sides of where the band was at in late 2012. As we all know, late 2013 is kind of revered for being just this, really stunning uh, uh, period of experimentation, great set listing. This kind of shows the hints of what is to come while still showing that like the band is still very much in the early 3.0 mindset. So I know that's a very long answer to your very short question, but I, I will open the floor to anyone else who has thoughts about 2012 for themselves or fish. Yeah. I was just trying to wait for my dog to stop barking. We'll know if she's really going to do that or not, but um yeah, in 2012, I had a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and I was living in London, so I was not seeing a lot of fish, but I came back for the summer for a few weeks, and I hit up Jones Beach for the July 4th show, once again trying my 3.0 luck at Jones Beach, and once again striking out, but the show was okay, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's definitely not, definitely not amazing, um, but it's really cool to think back on this year, especially last year. We did such a deep dive. We have four episodes on this summer tour, including Dick's, and we really like dug into it. And I think so much about this year that's really interesting is 
the return of consistent jamming in a year where there are two big factors that usually that aren't there that usually are they're not playing very many shows and there's also zero original songs that debut this year which is the only time in their history that this happens the only other year is 2020 which doesn't count because of the pandemic but you know you've got no new music and not a lot of shows so it's interesting that they you know brought back jamming in such a consistent way here and it's been fun to kind of listen back to all these shows. They're also having so much fun on this summer tour with the tucking jokes and there's lots of like playfulness and the banter is really high. And I think maybe that added to like their interest in like, they seem really happy to be playing together, you know, and having a lot of fun together. And you can hear that throughout the summer, especially, and definitely like kind of all coming to a climax at the Dick's run. And so I'm really excited to talk about this show and listening back to it was awesome. I listened back to it last year when we did the 2012 look back, but it's, I think the show's great, especially the second set. So I'm excited to dive into it. How about you, Jonathan? Where were you in 2012? Not on Fish Tour. Um, <laughs> this was my uh, hiatus in the 3.0. So I was um, I was listening to every show after the fact. Uh, thank courtesy Live Fish and whatnot. But uh, no, I was uh, crossing off bucket list bands like spiritualized and i saw roger waters he was less of a prat back then um i saw i mean always has been something of one yeah, but to a degree um yeah and then uh you know seeing bands like woods and ian mckay and a duo in a bookstore down the street you know like everything anything but fish, honestly, I was just not, I wasn't feeling it last time I, I had seen them in 2011 and, you know, there was quite often good points in shows for sure. I would not deny it. Obviously I was still interested because uh, I, as I say, I was listening to everything, but I was just not interested enough to go or care that much. It, um, it may, this, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about it too much. Um, until the other day I gave up sports in the aughts. So like mm. very late in the aughts, I stopped caring. I was, I had been following a, a football team in the Washington DC area since my youth. And in my youth, they were actually a pretty good team. And after I finished high school, they stopped being a, any good and I kept following them and it was, you know, endless frustration and would, I would get unhappy on Sundays because Sundays were just not good days because the steam was terrible. And, um, and so I decided to stop and it made my Sundays so much better and they still are like, uh, like I, I have no anxiety about what's going to happen. I will end the day without any outside reasons for me to have a poor day it's all here in, in my life and it's wonderful and not uh caring about fish while still enjoying them was a great way to be it was a great way to be until i was ready to come back i just want to add really quickly because i don't think you intended for this uh proper segue but um at this oh, show nope, i definitely didn't uh, before this show happened, I was at a bar in Midtown Manhattan watching the Chicago Bears play the Minnesota Vikings. And the and Chicago Bears had this deeply frustrating 2012 season where they should have made the playoffs. And they, they lost a last-second field goal the last game of the season, and it eliminated them from the playoffs. We fired Lovey Smith the next day. 
And that moment I walked out of that bar and I said, you know what? I think I am abandoning this team. I can't deal with the mental strain of this team. It's the only team in my entire life that I've ever abandoned. I don't care about the Chicago bears anymore. I've come back to football, but it was a, a weight lifted off of my shoulders at this show this evening. Um, so, so I, I share your sentiment. Sundays feel better without the mental strain of the Chicago bears in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. I didn't think we were going to, Jonathan, I didn't, I didn't ever know that you were into sports at one point and then decided not to be. That is yeah. fascinating. Learn something it's, new every day. It's such a relief. Now I can like see a sports game and like, I know what's going on. I, yeah. It's Your not like I don't know doesn't rise. Them, but I don't yeah. care. I just, whenever anybody does something good, I'm like, Hey, that was cool. And then half the room is mad. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, I, it, but I don't. I don't give a fuck. It's great. I understand that. Mm-hmm. that. That's how I. That's basically how I feel every time Ohio State's losing. I go through that process where I tell myself that I don't really need. Still care. Yeah. And then yeah. once they start winning again, I'm like, God, this is the best thing of all time. Um, I mean, I thought Megan was my friend until I found out yesterday that she's a Chelsea supporter. So, like, yeah, it it it, it, it it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Arsenal, um, come on. Thank you for for sharing that, Jonathan. Um, all right, Megan, what what happened? What did Fish do? In 2012? Well, not a lot. They only played 37 shows, so even less than 2011. You know, they have this summer tour that's kind of in two chunks. We've got the first one on like the East Coast, Bonnaroo, and then we go to the Midwest and then come to the East Coast. Then they take a month off and then they go out West and the Midwest and back to the Southeast. And then, of course, they end the summer at Dick's for the third time. And then they'll be at MSG for the New Year's Eve run. And for albums, this year they put out the um, box set, Chicago 94. So the two shows, June 18th and November 25th from 94, the UIC Pavilion. The two archival releases are December 6th, 1997 from Detroit, and then also August 11th from 98 at Star Lake. And then we have two live baits that come out this year, and they are past summer compilations based on the first and the second leg of that summer tour. I like those. Those are such fun ways to do that. We did that. Did we do that last year where we made up yeah, we our own up live bait? Yeah, that was so fun. We should do that next year again. Um, and then two other albums that came out, Trey released Traveler um, and Mike Gordon released Steamroller Wheelies, which was a benefit for flood recovery in Vermont after Hurricane Irene. And as I mentioned before, they debuted three songs, but zero original songs. Um, so again, I mean, they were really digging through their catalog this year and playing lots of older songs they haven't played in a long time but interesting so that's it that's meg's corner goodness all right was so, that okay for you rj i mean i know you weren't looking forward to it but no no i thought it, okay it was great i thought it was awesome <laughs> i i really appreciate the context setting that i love the nugget about the live baits because yeah I think it was the year before they did the first, uh, the Super Bowl one was the first one that was kind of an archival mm. release. And it was suddenly uh, songs and jams were on the table for soundboard release where you didn't necessarily have to have a full show released. You got just that highlight of it, which allows just way more out there in the world. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah but it's so also fun. sometimes a teaser because you get this one song from this show and you're like, dude, we know you have the rest of it. You have it all. Let it out. We want it. We want it now. 
Mm-hmm. Kevin. It's true. It's like Kevin Shapiro trying to make <laughs> us all feel better by putting out the first three songs of 725.99 during the curveball from the archives, but not the full show. We know you got the full show, man. I know. I know. <laughs> I, Someday. I feel like, well, let's get into the show, but I, or Brian, I don't know if you want to say some stuff about things, other things. I, I have a few things to say about stuff. Um, I'm going to keep it very short because uh, we had this technology corner in the first uh, first uh, third <laughs> of this episode. And, Brian, does uh, your so- your segment include anything on the Neil Young tour from that year? Because I didn't mention that I got to see Neil Young and Crazy Horse with Patti Smith opening in December oh of 2012. God. And it was one of the greatest shows. That's amazing. I, I, I would ask that? you to elaborate because I was going to mention Psychedelic Pill, which was the Neil Young Crazy yes. Horse album that came out in 2012, which absolutely rules. But please tell us just a little bit about the Neil Young show. That's always something that should be lamented. Well, I, I can't not tell you about the fact that we didn't know there was even an opener. And we got in and uh, wow. and we were wow. in the hall and like uh, headed to our seats when I heard music. And I was like, oh, shit. I kind of pushed forward. And I looked up and I was like... That's Patty Smith. And we didn't have seats, actually. Wow. We we were on the floor. So we got down on the floor and got real close. And she was amazing. Amazing. My first time seeing okay. her, I didn't even know I was gonna. And then, uh, yeah, Crazy Horse. Uh, they, they, I mean, the set list was Love and Only Love, Powderfinger, Born in Ontario, Walk Like a Giant, you know, uh, Needle and Damage Done, Jeez. Twisted Road, Singer Without a Song, Ramada Inn, Cinnamon Girl, Fucking Up, Cortez the Killer, My Soul, Hey, My My. Uh, hey, hey, my, my, rather, and roll another number encore. And it was awesome. It was awesome. It was better than any fish show I saw that year. I can imagine which that. is zero. But um, it was, it was like, it was so good <laughs> that um, I, I, I don't know why I left it out when I was talking about all the other good shows I saw that year. And there I were just more. want a That's slight correction. Need. It yeah. is Mr. Soul, not my soul. My soul is a. Now, um, I know. Well, it's because I'm reading. Soul. Mr. Yeah. Soul and Hey Hey My My right together. <laughs> Mr. Soul is compressing. an amazing song. No, it's good. Um, Neil Neil rules, and that was an incredible year for Neil. Um, I'm going to keep this brief uh, because, like I said, we had Tech Corner early on. I'm just going to give you a couple of my favorite things that happened through 2012. There is a larger list. If you'd like uh, to, to have it, send me a voicemail. I'll send you a voicemail back. It'll be very simple. Uh, television, this was the debut of Veep. Uh, maybe my favorite political show that's ever happened. Also one of my favorite endings to a show that has ever happened. If you have not watched that whole series, I cannot recommend it enough um movies we had uh, some great documentaries this year like jiro dreams of sushi uh, uh shut up and play the hits searching for the sugar man but we also had some amazing movies that. um moonrise kingdom from wes anderson the master from paul thomas anderson my favorite movie of the year uh, Lincoln from Spielberg uh, with da- Daniel Day-Lewis um and uh zero dark 30 Django Unchained and this is 40 some really good movies across the year um as we kind of see streaming and television start to take over people's consciousness and less movies are made um a lot of uh like the 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 ip core that uh that comes 
out of like the superhero movies that is not necessarily my bag, but is extremely popular. And that started to take over movies during this period of time. But a lot of, um, a lot of like money is sent towards like one or two very big movies that are made. Um, music. This is a great, great year for albums. Um, at the risk of going through all of these, I'm just going to kind of throw out a few Frank Ocean's channel orange, Kendrick Lamar's good kid at mad city. Dylan put out tempest, a very underrated record. Um, Julia Holter, Ecstasis, uh, Sharon Van Etten's Tramp, Grizzly Bears, Shields, The Walkmen's Heaven, my favorite album of the year, Spiritualized Street, Sweetheart, Sweet Light, uh, Neil Young, Crazy Horses, aforementioned Psychedelic Pill, uh, and then uh, David Byrne and St. Vincent put out Love This Giant, and uh, The Queen, Taylor Swift, put out Red. Um, Lots more in there. I could I could go on for probably the next five minutes, but I know that we're in a rush to get to the show. So I will just ask you guys, did you have any particularly favorite albums or movies or TV shows from this year that you'd like to highlight? I just, hold on, before anyone answers, I just want to say that if you want to hear the full discussion about our favorite albums from 2012, please consider subscribing to Osiris Premium. We're going to record that right after this. Go to osirispod.com slash premium. $5 a month. You can support what we do. Maybe we can even get a tech upgrade if, you know, subscribers. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry, guys. I feel like I'm going to save mine for the bonus episodes. You mentioned some of mine, but I'm going to save the rest of mine. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, you know, re-highlight uh, Sweetheart, Sweet Light, which you've mentioned, The Spiritualized. It's so good. And it's a little, it's like... um <clears throat> like spiritualized gone happy almost so yeah. weird in a way mm. uh but really beautiful but uh conversely and, and i mean and by conversely i mean entirely different i really loved sharon van Etten's tramp uh they, and, Me too. and psychedelic pill and i have a couple others that i'm saving for the bonus episode but but those are great great records and really belong up at the top of the heap wow all right um, okay, so Brian, do you want to tell us about the show? Do you want to do you want to get into the show? Yeah, let's get into the show. Um, so I will just say before I read the set list, um, this is our first twelve thirty show of the series. Um, I, this is one of my favorite shows I've ever attended. Uh, this was my first New Year's run, first time at MSG. Very big personal moment for me from a fish standpoint. Um, we had seats on 1228 way up high in the rafters, which I would never recommend to anyone sitting up there for an MSG show. And then 1229, 30 and 31st, right next to page, uh, side stage, the spot in MSG I always want to be in, the mm. way that the floor bounces, the way that the lights go off the roof, the way that you can just like feel like close and confined with the band. Uh, it feels like you're in a small room, kind of like RJ's. Um, it's just, it's an amazing <laughs> spot to see fish. Um, uh, the, the only thing I will say is, well, you, you guys know very well, um, my anxiety around seeing fish, um, my general anxiety around the world. Um, I, 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 I was, I, I had a lot riding on this tour from a personal standpoint. I was very excited to see, uh, these hollow dates, 1229 and 1230 in particular, 1229, uh, is not a very good show. It's one of my least favorite shows I've ever seen, partially because my wife got sick got food poisoning halfway through it and um oh, we had to leave the show which like to me was this devastating moment of oh my god i'm leaving at 12 29 um she wrote it out uh that night into the next morning and she suddenly like 
rallied and bounced back around five o'clock on 1230. At the same time, a friend of mine provided us with some uh, magic pills, uh, which we, we <laughs> consumed. We went into the show. Uh, they had a great effect on my mood and on the uh uh, the vibe around the entire show. And uh, as a result, uh, this was one of my favorite in-show experiences. So with that, and, and we're going to get into this because listening back to this is a little bit different than my experience of uh, being there. <laughs> That's um, never happened. It's yeah, never the magic happened. Pills it's bit, will do that. <laughs> they will do that. It's it's a very it's a very interesting kind of dichotomy listening back to this 11 years later. But um, set one, we have Runaway Gym Cities uh, with a fade into divided sky back on the train ride captain ride ocelot yamar horn with a fade into my friend my friend with a fade into run like an antelope um like just epic 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 stuff am i right guys what do you guys think <laughs> totally fine totally fine that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad set though. No, like everything's really, played well oh. and there's not like terrible flow. You know, I mean the yeah. divided sky is like, it's not perfect, but it has some like power and intensity behind it. And then like, you know, you've got a nice like double peak on the back on the train. You know, you've got like this little like one hit wonder dropped in there, which is like played not very often, even though it was played four times this year for some reason. But I think they just, you know, they sound like they're having fun and horn. Anytime you get that song, even if it's in a random spot, it's like such so one of my favorite songs. And, you know, you got back to back, like horn, my friend, my friend, like really old school. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I, I bet you loved it on that night. I mean, loved. old school is, uh, is, is ride, <laughs> ride captain ride, right? Cities. Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. old school. Everybody thinks of that as a 97 song and it's not, not that, but like this, I, so this is kind of a perfect example of what I would experience when fish would play and I would look at the set list in the morning, or maybe we'd like talk about it online as it happened or whatever. And then, um, and then I'd listen to it the next day and be like, okay, yeah. Um, there's some, the, the, the note on fish.net, the jam chart of the divided sky. Um, and the second half of the note is a very good jam segment and long for 3.0. But the first half of the of the note is like I just hold this sign up for the whole year because minor flubs in the composed section, notwithstanding, um, because <laughs> they're they're out there, they're they're sprinkled throughout. And at that point in my mindset as a listener, and sometimes when I go back to these shows, including this time when I went back to this show, um, like sometimes I hear them and I'm just like, that's it, just like pulls me right out. Um, which is, it's me that I know they're just pushing on through and then good stuff happens. Right. Uh, but I think I like all of these songs. Um, and it, it was, it's still, it's a pleasant listen, I think, but, uh, yeah. I thought it was interesting how, um, and Brett who's watching on YouTube said, it struck me how much you could hear the crowd. I thought the same thing, like cities like mm. everyone was like like people were really excited at the show and i mm-hmm. guess i was there but i don't remember yeah. being excited but i'm sure i was um cities at msg like, though is always the best yeah like that true. is a song that just always like just rocks msg everybody loves it you know it's about a city, Are, it's about city. rj excited at the show 
I know there was, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine. A while. But it's weird because <laughs> I saw, I saw 12, 30, 2012 and then 12, 29, 2013, which is like kind of mm. a similar show, like a lot of yep. the same songs. Um, but I, I was reminded of Tim from in this first set, what kind of captured it for me or reminded me of 2012 is how like Ocelot is like where you would get some of like the best, guitar playing of the show and like a right you know yeah. and it was like it's yeah. so yeah. fun to hear live and it's like trey was really you know just like playing into it really yeah exactly but i remember like a lot of those 2012 sh- but that was kind of a early 3.0 thing it's like that's where you got some of the best <laughs> jams you know not not yeah. jam but like shredding at least yeah um, but yeah it's interesting um i don't know this this show is I think it's the energy of of MSG, and then getting the second set, which is totally different in terms of the, you know, this first set is just kind of like a. I'm not sure you could go either way after a set like this. Which way do you go? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because like it, it reminds me of the conversation we were having around the uh, 2011 show that we talked about. Because I think the first sets are pretty similar in that they're mm-hmm. really solid, and it's hard to remember now. But at the time, a really solid first set felt like a really big deal. Um, And I think, you know, to Jonathan's point as well, checking the set list told you a lot of the story. Whereas today, if you check a set list and you see like, just an example, like 46 days is eight minutes in the middle of the first set, your brain might say like, I don't necessarily need to hear that. But when you listen, there's like four or five distinct minutes of heavy improvisation and connectivity that you kind of can't judge a show nowadays by their set list in 2012 mm-hmm. and, and, and 2011, 10, 09, you very much could. And that shift is going to start to happen next fall, 2013, when um, a lot of micro jams come into play, which, which take a, a lot of flack from time to time, but are really important in the way that they kind of showcase band dynamics and band evolution in miniature, even in not these like big blowout jams. For this, there's no improvisation. There's no weirdness. There's nothing that's like strained from the middle of the road. It's just really quality um, fish in a way that wasn't always guaranteed on a night to night basis. So in the moment, I remember this feeling and this, you know, showcases my noob card. This felt like one of the biggest shows I'd seen. Um listening back to it now, it's it's a show. It's a good first set. It it works well, but it's not something I would highly recommend someone going back and listening to. I think it was I think that's that- a good point actually. I was just going to say that because if you look at like the show that I saw on July 4th, the first set is like a hundred songs. And I think there's 17 songs in it. And it's just literally like all over the place. And I think if you look at it on paper, this set, even just on paper looks better. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, 17 songs, people complain nowadays about songy sets. I was like, go back, just take a Yeah. You don't even know. You don't even know. (laughs) Like a two hour first set. So we've we've been talking a little bit about over these episodes about the journey of 3.0. And, you know, we we related a lot of it on our journey, but Fish is on a a pretty substantial journey themselves. They came out of the gate in 09. They were, you know, excited and just ready to try to, to have it all back. And and, you know, we were all very excited to have them back and we were extremely forgiving and then some of us became less so. And and I think, though, that I knew 
and I believe other people knew too, that Fish is going to have to like really find a way to redefine themselves. And I feel like they worked yeah. continuously yeah. over the several years to try and do that. And at several points, it seemed like, oh, maybe it's here, but they kept kind of having to look for it and find that thing. And, uh, and as we'll get to in the next episode, you know, they really are finding it in 2013 is what you're getting at here. They're just like, they're still looking. Dick's may have been the turn, but it's, it didn't, it Dick's 2012 may have been the turn, but it didn't entirely take, you know, it's not like it's totally. coming out every night. It's like, maybe they got to look at it. It's like, yeah, cause uh, they're not playing enough either. Well, like, yeah. And it's, it's like Halloween 96, like they're, dude, Oh, they yes. might have yeah. found it, but, it, and it might stick for a few nights, but then it took a little bit of going to, well, they had to go to Europe and like hammer it out. Got like marinate, yeah. And there yeah. are a lot of those shows in like winter Europe that I wouldn't recommend going back and listening yeah. to if you're looking for the 97 style. It's a really good point because like it comes in fits and spurts. There's moments, there's that Amsterdam show, but around that is a lot of like, did this come out of August 1996? What's going on here? And yeah. I think to your point, Megan, like the reality is they should have had a fall tour this year. Yeah. They had two years in a row where they did just summer tours, dicks, and then nothing in the fall. And there's definitely something about that break from labor day to new year's that has an impact on the band sometimes like last year we saw it was actually a good impact the msg 2022 was amazing um msg 2012 is i think a little bit it's stronger than 2011 but it still has that up and down nature of we're still figuring this out even though we had this shift mm-hmm. yeah well shit they played a second set though they played oh, a second yeah. set, which we should talk about because the second set has um, a lot has of this. Uh, this has more of the kind of shock value that we're we're hinting at here. Which uh, so the second set goes disease in a twenty years later in a Carini in a backwards on the number line in a Julius in a slave to the traffic light. No direct segues, just a lot of like energy fades into the next song, and then the encore is Harry Hood and Show of Life. Um, <sighs> I'll just say, you know, <laughs> listening back to this, um, everything that I did feel in the venue, I feel when I listen back to this Down With Disease and this Carini. I think that these are two of the most shocking jams of the era. Um, I think that this is what showcases the band's willingness to fall on their, fla- uh, fall on their face, um, uh, explore, jam, improvise in real time. Uh, in a way that they, I don't necessarily know if they were afraid to, but were not ready to for much of the previous four years. Um, this Down With Disease is pretty weightless at times. It moves through a lot of different jam segments. Uh, it's not trying to find a direct path towards a peak. It is moments of communication, moments of inspiration that kind of bubbles up. They get to like a, a, a mini peak and then they move into a different age. This is the kind of jam that sounds like it could um, have gone on for another 20 minutes. I just like mm-hmm. the band is just like talking to each other back and forth. It's really interesting to me to listen back to this because a lot of what we've heard over the last 11 years kind of comes out of jams like this where the band to this point in time was not walking on stage and just being like, let's just see what happens within a jam. Um, They were trying to build energy and trying to build excitement. And here they kind of 
eschew any sort of energy in place of kind of the type of experimentation you would hear in like a living room. Um, we can get into the Karenian a little bit here, but I do just want to note one last thing before I turn it over to you guys to hear about your thoughts on the disease. I got really curious about how many times disease has opened second sets just because it is like the default second set opener. Um, do you guys have any idea or any guess on how many times it has opened a second set in fish history? 75%. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's got to be it? high. It's, it's, I, every show that I'm at, but it's not sure. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it got to be high. Times, 108 times total. Wow. Of those, 64 have happened in 3.0, 4.0. And of those, between 2009 and the end of 2012, it opened 23 second sets. It is as old yeah. reliable as it gets. That's that's like half the shows of those couple years. I mean, that's right. a lot. It's a lot. And, and it feels... <sighs> Like I looked that up because I was like, this is just such a shocking down with disease. Like there's a lot from this era that are just kind of 12, 13 minutes, mm -hmm. get to a rollicking peak and then move into another song. This really showcases what down with disease has always kind of represented for fish, which is this like portal opening to the unknown. It's almost like tweezer in that sort of sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I just found that interesting. What, what were you guys thoughts on this disease and kind of the early part of the second set? I just want to say quickly, just to that point, Brian, I was looking at the jam charts earlier. There's 17 down diseases in between 2009 and 2013 on the jam charts, which is a lot. I feel That's like a lot. I was going back to this and listening to it and thinking like maybe and maybe it's just my memory, but I feel like in 2010 through 2013 until 2013, which I think is when things started to change and like in terms of improv, like down disease was one of the most reliable jam vehicles even though they played yeah, it at like along every with show light. Was at, along with light, light yeah, too, exactly. yeah 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 but I, I thought this disease was was really fun um i yeah kind of like 2012 i feel like you can just maybe it's just in my head but i feel like you can kind of hear them moving toward this what i think the sound in 2013 really gets more interesting and more um out there but um i don't know i i thought i thought it was a lot of fun um i don't really like 20 years later i was reminded today mm -hmm. <laughs> um it's just like not a i just uh, it's fine but i'm like every time yeah especially like i think it's like it's kind of slow it just i don't know maybe i'm am i wrong i, agree. Like, no, I, agree. I like it i i think that it is a song that has never maybe not never has rarely found exactly what it needs to be like there are a couple versions that that actually stretch yeah. a little because it's got just outstanding compositionally. The darkness that's built into this song is super fucking yeah. good. Um, the pacing of the song is is I mean it's slow. It needs to come out of the right moment. I feel like this is as good a moment to go to that song as they could have found because the disease is super actually super satisfying but it comes into yeah. after all of the many segments that brian you know you alluded to you know it does come down and it kind of eases i think pretty well into that kind of that that space uh where 20 years later exists um and yeah it's it's I think that I understand. I know I understand why people give it the rep that they do, and why you said what you said there, RJ. I, 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 uh, I, I think it has such a great potential that is only barely tapped. But I think it's. I think it works here. I enjoy this disease, and um, and the fact that after this, 
the way 20 years later ends and the drop to Karini. And I won't get into Karini because I want to hear Megan talk about disease, but I, I like the way that plays out. Yeah, I agree with you, Jonathan, about if you're going to have that song in a place, this is a pretty good place to do it. After like a big giant exploration, you can kind of like have that slow marching song that kind of just sits in a, in a kind of a, a space that isn't necessarily like pushing the set forward anywhere because you've already gone somewhere pretty big, which I think is great. But yeah, I loved how Brian described this down with disease. I, the moment that stands out for me is like, there's like 14 minutes in when Paige goes to the piano and it just adds like this grounding and depth. And then there's the psychedelic swirling over it. And to me, I hear like that confidence that they found in the storage jam playing out and like some of the moments that they had at Dick's. And I feel like them really like kind of like opening up and breathing in a way that's just absolutely so satisfying. Like you were saying, Jonathan, I mean, this, this jam has a real resolution and they find rhythm at the end and it has that like big monster sound. And again, Paige goes back to the piano. I found like he was really, really strong in the show and especially towards the end of the set too. But I think when you have a jam like this, there's nowhere better to be than MSG. It's, it's, you feel like you're swimming in the sound, especially like Brian, where you're sitting, where you're talking about where you're sitting Mm -hmm. right there, Paige, I've sat there a lot in MSG and there's just a way that music surrounds you in that like really round room that is just, there's nowhere else like that. And I love imagining Brian, you in the room for this jam on magic pills, just like lost. I think it's just <laughs> makes me happy. makes me really happy. And RJ, I'm sure you were having a fucking great time too. So um, that makes me happy too. <laughs> Many credit chops were chopped. <laughs> who knows? Exactly. I mean, People were hugged. I'm sure. I would probably have told you I loved you. It would have been great yeah. um, if we were who there knows? together. <laughs> I mean, apparently I went to 1228 and then 1230. I don't know what I was doing on 1229. Like, n- literally. You made the right yet. call. You made the right yeah, call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, it's I just. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I just want to make another pitch for the psychedelic potential of 20 years later. I just feel like some of the versions, so many versions of the yeah. song feel a little like stilted. I just, I don't know if they just, you know, need to all kind of like find themselves in the right place at the right time and it'll flow one day um, again. But like, I, I just, the song, no, kinda, you're, you're it, absolutely it touches right. something in my brain that makes me really want it to work. It, yeah, I hear that. It's, it's an interesting, like, I think it really works as just like a song as a bridge here from that abstraction of disease into kind of the Floyd ask of the back half of the Karini, yes. which we'll talk about in a sec. But to your point, I mean, it is crazy. There are two versions that stick out for me, uh, 10, 29, 13 and uh, 6, 30, 19, that they do break the wall and they do figure a way out mm-hmm. of there. And it's really exciting. But um, especially during this period, um, cause I saw 20 years later at some point, uh, in the last set of dicks where you have the, the sand, the ghost, the piper, and then 20 years later, and it feels like almost like no quarter in the sense that it's, here's how we take a jam and apply it to a song, but sometimes that can feel limiting and that can feel restrictive. And so sometimes I think they, they love playing the actual song itself, um, that it's hard to break free of, but there are a few moments like you talked about that, um, just showcase it has a ton of potential. Um, it is sometimes hard to win people over with like a song this slow and heavy though. It does. It's sludgy in, in a way. Um, but the Karini, the Karini, the Karini, my God, um, this was 
the first moment for me since uh, the split open and melt uh, into Ghost at Coventry that I saw that I was uh, actually terrified uh, in the moment at a fish show. And I had <laughs> wanted that so much. Um, one of the things that we've talked about as in this evolution uh, in the early 3.0 is the sense that everything was really happy in 09, 10, mm. 11, and 12. Uh, it was a very joyful. Trey was smiling all the time. There was a lot of humor. And there was one thing that was slightly missing from this period, which was the evil nature of some fish jams. And if you think back to 94, 95, the late 90s, parts of 2.0, um, there were a lot of moments that were really special at fish shows where the band got into a musical space that was downright terrifying. A lot of those summer 95 jams spooked a ton yeah. of people out. The Providence Bowie spooked a ton of people out. And that was a thing that a lot of people chased. And as someone who got into fish, when I got into fish, um, I didn't see a lot of that. And that was a part of this band that I really wanted to experience in the moment. And this Carini gave that to me. This Carini gets industrial. It gets mechanical. It feels like um, an excerpt from the wall movie where you can see like the hammers yeah. walking around. You know, it's just like there were these red, red lights that were going on. And as I was listening back to this, you know, you've got this moment at uh, around 840 where it's just space and Trey just starts howling. Uh, around 10 minutes, yeah. he introduces this riff that kind of takes us into Hades. There's this like militaristic beat around what they're doing. And then the song reaches a point of total brightness before it goes into number line. But it's this full journey. It's like six minutes of the band experimenting in the same manner that they did the disease where it's wide open. Uh, there's no real push for a direction towards a peak. But what they find is less these kind of blissful moments. They find a lot of darkness that the band will start to employ a year later. RJ, you talk about the 2013 run. There's a Carini from 1229 that gets to a very dark and very weird place. A lot of that is kind of normal to us now. There's a lot of jams. Mm. You think about spring 2023, you think about parts of the Ruby waves from this past fall that the band can get into 10 minutes of just like maniacal, dark, atmospheric, experimental space that really wasn't happening now. And these kind of jams were a big breakthrough. Um, the last thing I'll say before passing it to you guys, I would argue that this Carini into number line is in the best way, the best way, the most jarring transition in 3.0 fish. Like you go from just like terror to happy birthday to my best friend and you fucking need it. Like everybody yes. in that room needed to be like, okay, good. Everything's going to be all right. Yeah. That's the most earned number line ever. I think it's like perfect. Like, yes, you get to play this <laughs> song right now. You fucking deserve to play it because you just took us on a journey through the underworld. I mean, that Carini is so sinister. It's so patient. And that moment that you're talking about, Brian, at, it's almost like eight, nine minutes. The song, it like could have ended, right? The jam like basically kind of ends. And then Fishman just plays that like primal drum and everybody just builds off of it. It gets so rhythmic and intense. It's so different from the Down With Disease. It's just so like it sounds like it's coming from like the bottom of their soul. It's so great. I've listened to this like a couple times this week and every time I'm just like, what a moment, just absolute triumph. And yeah, totally earned number line and play whatever you want the rest of the set. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I went back and read old reviews um, and they were not necessarily good reviews. And uh, one of the mm. lines that sticks out to me was, and I thought this was, 
Well, it was a little more, it was more charitable than some, uh, which is that if you're going to play a number line in set two, please open the set with it or maybe even close it, but not in the middle after a deep, dark jam. And I don't agree with that, but I just want to, I, I, I'm sharing it because this is, this is what people commonly said. And some people still do. I think it's less and less because as we all know, everybody loves it in the moment. And then they'll complain about it later. Um, it, I think it's fine. I don't know if it's the most earned, but I think it's fine. I think this Karini make and and the downward disease that starts the set make up for almost anything else they want to do in this set. Yeah. Um, a, except of course, then they close it uh, the way they close it. So that's great too. This Karini is great. It's dark and and Brian, as you were talking about. How the absence of evil fish and maybe kind of reflect and think about is it possibly is that possibly one of the things I wasn't getting enough of that made me yeah. not want to see fish um, and I don't know I'm going to have to keep thinking about that um, but maybe that was one of the sides of a cube that was missing like we were talking about yeah yeah maybe it's um I don't want to jump too far ahead. You guys have said everything, I think, about the kind of improv here. Um, I think a really, like, interesting, notable part here is just that you get a slave in a hood back-to-back. -back. I mean, you know, second Amazing. set and encore. Um, yeah. Which is really cool. I tried looking, and, you know, I'm not very good at this, but... Um, so hood and slave have never been played back-to-back, -back, but there's I think, I think there have been you know, second set closer on course where it's probably happened, but, um, you know, getting to these two songs back to back is, is a pretty special way to end the show. Yeah. And it's a really Absolutely. nice slave and it's a beautiful Harry hood. It's at a time when mm -hmm. they weren't really jamming Harry hood, but they were playing these like full versions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those two, that pairing, I, I remember in the moment, it felt very significant. Listening back to it, it still feels significant. Um, those are just two songs that you kind of expect the band to play on different shows because they get to that mm -hmm. same emotional space and to return to that emotional space after a really strong uh, slave set closer. Um, it just felt like they were kind of taking stock of where they were at this I don't think when you think about the annals of 1230 fish and all the great shows that have been played on there, this has really good moments. I don't think it has that, like, you know, we've, we're on a run of really amazing 1230 shows over the last five or six years, basically since 2016. I don't think that this is um, a full show as quality as those are, but it has the elements of what makes that night so special for fish. Yeah, I agree. And this slave is like, Trey's solo is super heartfelt. It's really piercing. Like there's a lot of emotion in both of these versions. And I agree it, when the band plays a song like slave, that's so emotional and celebratory and comes back on for an encore and plays hood and show of life. They're in their feels like they're feeling it. And, yeah. and you can tell that, I mean, they, you've got the drummer boy teases in both of those in slave and hood. And then show of life is just, it's emotional. And I think that they obviously were feeling really good. I think Trey plays that song when he's, I don't know. Reflective. Yeah, I, I think you're right about why and when Trey plays Show of Life. I, I won't bring up the bad reviews um, because <laughs> it's funny you how bad differently. You got bad reviews. <laughs> yeah, funny how differently segments of the audience feel about songs like that than the band clearly does. Um, 
But I mean, if you don't uh, like that song, you might not have a heart. Like that song is very sweet. I think I think I think it can be made that it's a little trite at times. But I think it's heartfelt, and so it's fine. At 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 worst, it's fine. But I think it rises to better than that on most occasions. But I actually hear talk about how great the slave is. Yeah, no, number line is better than that. I honestly, I think number line is a better song than Show of Life. Yeah, so, I think that's true. Me. But um, they're both like yeah. that, and that positivity. Like you just got to lean yes. into it. Um, the uh, slave is gorgeous and an absolute perfect punctuation on this set uh, that has had that actually has real ebbs, flows, push and pull yeah. in tone and emotion and all of that is an absolute perfect way to end what I think is actually a really good set. Um, and uh, the Harry Hood is really good, but it uh, it suffered from kind of the same kinds of things that I mentioned when I read that review, the, the jam chart note on uh, The Divided Sky. I, I hear the beginning bits and I hear Trey missed that. And then I hear that like, this doesn't go right collectively. I don't know who did what, but, but then the jam is real nice. Peaks nice. And then, and then show of life. And, uh, it gives the audience an opportunity to start filtering out gradually instead of a mad crush after the lights come up. <laughs> two, two quick thoughts on that. Cause I think, I think you bring up some really strong points. Um, with regards to like the songwriting, I remember the the conversation around these new songs being exactly as you're talking about, Jonathan. There were some people that were like very much like, hey, you just got to embrace love and light version of Trey. And then there were other people that were like, we have these other examples, you know, the story of the ghost era, like really interesting kind of dark introspective songs um, put to really weird music. It, it felt like a kind of... Um, normalization of fish songwriting in a sense 11 years later it's kind of hard to remember that because we have so many of these songs like this is clearly <laughs> the, the zone that trey and tom write in and a lot of them have gone on to do things musically improvisationally that allow you know you think about like a song like ruby waves obviously written in 2007 but kind of at the cusp of this period where the song like that i think people are soul planet people um take issue with the way the song was written, but are more forgiving because of what the song ultimately does. Um, and so like we're at the start of this period, there's no new songs in this year. A year later, we're going to get a ton of um, debuts that are going to be in this vein. It's going to be harder to really push back on this because this is just the artistic direct direction the band is going in and they will, will they will write better songs. But the other thing is, um, you know, just from a flub standpoint, that was another issue that a lot of people had at this point in time with fish. And when you had flubs combined with 17 song first sets combined with limited to jamming, there was a yeah. lot of like excuses that you were making and and forgiveness that you were making for the band rather than just being like, this is really, really quality. Um, we're about to enter a period like 2013, 14, 15 is the strongest tray until this, this year that we're currently in. It's very on, uh, there's not a ton of flubs. There's not a ton of mistakes. The band sounds very tight. So we're about to enter a period where the band sounds really good, just playing songs plus is jamming. And it's going to become a lot, um, a lot harder to kind of push back on the like, well, fish isn't trying that, that I think people were starting to say towards the end of 2011 and 2012, which I will say that, Fish isn't trying is definitely an argument I heard a bunch, and it was it's completely unfounded. 
um, right. They were they trying. Were definitely they just, trying. Yeah. They just were, you know, I, I feel like that um, the things that, like the jarring flubs that I pointed out earlier, you know, they were focused on other areas that, and that stuff, they caught up to it too. Like they don't fuck up Harry Hood in a way that makes me go, huh? during the intro anymore they, they don't like no. none of the they, they played so well now um and it wasn't necessarily because they sat and focused and practiced and we learned it they just kept doing it it's reps right and right. yeah but exactly. at, the time, at the same time 2012 yes they didn't do a fall tour but i think they were they were were working on something internally and you can hear that in the down with disease you can hear that yeah. in the carini you can yeah. hear that in just you know beautiful execution of the slave um, totally. like it's there. Yeah. It's just not all there. And they were going, they were headed there. Yeah. And then you like 2013, it really does start to change. At least for me, oh, it yeah. changed completely, you know, um, which is, which is just That's so because great. I showed up and we started hanging out. That's true. That is why <laughs> I've asked, I've asked Trey and he was like, yeah, well it was because Jonathan started shown so yeah as soon as he got excited for hampton to come up like where we started decided to start playing again exactly <laughs> and i gotta say guys i'm gonna just well i want to re- reiterate i'll put this in the show notes but 484-416-0488 that's our hotline leave us a message i haven't told you guys this but i'm gonna tell everybody now can i tell you guys what our show is gonna be next week so people can start getting psyched yeah how exciting it. so well, I'll just tell you, 1020 is, is where we're going. We're going for 1020. Awesome. And guess what? Woo. We almost what? made it. We almost made it on 1020, but then we got almost. pushed back a week. So it's not happening on 1020. Yeah. But my favorite, one of my favorite fish moments of all time, even though I saw a lot of shows in 2013 and that was not one of them, but um, I'm excited to I'm excited to dive um, into that. So everyone should and, leave messages and, to us about 2013. I saw that one now. So that'll be fun. See, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, awesome. I'm more excited about that than whatever it is I'm going to pick for 2014 at this point. <laughs> if you need Which any 2014 inputs, I, I have, there are some gems. I, I'm happy to share. Some oh, gems, I know. I've but, been reviewing. Um, I just like. You got it. You got it. I can't wait to talk Hampton 2013. And we are in, yeah, amidst uh, the 20th anniversary right now. Or, 20th the 10th anniversary right now of that fall tour which um we Mm -hmm. will talk extensively about that was a game-changing moment that is still reverberating today in a lot of cases so super excited about that thank you guys for joining me on my journey through the magic pills to talk about uh uh, 2012 fish and um why i'm still a defender of shows like this i think uh it's it's interesting to listen back to this stuff with the perspective of everything the band has done over the last 10 years but also to kind of hear those little nuggets of, of where this band is going, what this band is doing. I appreciated it. I do. I also want to say um, that despite all the roadblocks that we tried to put in front of ourselves, it looks like we will finish this series on 1229 or that week, which I think is kind of a miracle because it is a miracle. <laughs> it's kind of a miracle that we're going to actually finish the series, um, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And thanks, Brian, for doing this. Um, McGrupp, who's just put this comment in, thanks for hosting the Daniel Donato interview on Thursday. I will put that up as a as as a podcast this week. Um, it's really fun. I have a bunch more of those coming. And Daniel Donato's what an awesome dude. Um, Jonathan, Megan, do you have any any last words before we end? No, I'm excited to go record our bonus episode and talk about 2012 albums. I've been listening to them all week. 
Wow. slash premium. <laughs> Thank you guys. Get more coffee and call our call our hotline. You know, call the hotline. Just do call it. Call the hotline. Just reviews, yeah. questions, mm-hmm. accusations, uh, outfit critiques. questions. Outfit questions, whatever. Sports we're, questions, yeah. Film we're getting questions. into movies, for everything. books. We're getting, we're, we're getting into the serious part of 3.0. So everyone, start yeah. sending us your thoughts. All right, yeah. we'll see you all next week. Get real. See Bye you guys. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.